we put our screens back and, and we put our guns away and it seemed like everything was fine. No problem. Until about a week later when my dad was mowing the yard, he came around where that security light was and he saw glass all along the ground. And I don't have to go into detail, but suffice it to say, he was not very pleased with what we had decided to do with our new BB guns. And there's a reason why that memory still sticks with me to this day. And so in the moment, it seemed like a good decision, but on the other side of it, it was a horrible decision. It was a decision that I ended up regretting. And I would, suffi- I, I, I would um, venture to guess that each of you here today could look back in the years of your life and the journey that you've taken up until this point, and you probably have what was I thinking moments. Maybe it was a relationship that you were in, and you knew you shouldn't be in that relationship, and there were signs all around. Everyone else could see that you didn't need to be in that relationship, but you closed your, uh, your ears off. You closed off uh, your, your peripheral vision. You just focused on what you wanted, and you look back on it now, and you wish you would have listened to someone. You wish you would have made a different decision. Maybe it was a purchasing decision. You knew you shouldn't have bought that. You knew you didn't have the money for it. You knew that it was a bad, bad decision, but you just wanted it so bad. And so you took out a loan. You, you did whatever you needed to do, and you got that thing. And then you realized once you got it, you didn't really need it. And you didn't really want it, and now you're up to your eyeballs in debt, and you wish you would have made a decision differently if you had to do it all over again. Maybe it was a habit. Maybe it was an action that you did. You, you decide, you know what? It's not a big deal. No one's going to know that I did X, Y, or Z. And you decide, you know what? It will never master me. It will never take over my life. But you did. And that one action began to become a habit that began to direct and chart the course of your life. See, all of us, each and every day of our life, we have decisions that we need to make. Some of them are small decisions that don't have any consequence whatsoever. And then some of them can shape and change our lives forever and ever. And so what I want us to do is I want us to begin focusing and thinking about how we make decisions. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how we make decisions. How we can make wise decisions. Because here's the thing that is true of each and every one of us. The decisions you make today are going to affect tomorrow. And the decisions you make today will begin charting the course of your life and will begin telling your story of who you become in the days ahead. I know that it's true of each and every one of us that we want those that we love and that we care about to make good and wise decisions. Well, listen, don't we need to make those good and wise decisions as well? But how do we do that? How do we begin making those decisions in a way that is good for us, Good for those around us, because listen here, your decisions may be private at first, but eventually they end up affecting those around you. They don't stay private. Eventually they'll become public. And they'll begin affecting others around you. And so how do we make good, wise, godly decisions in our life? Well, what I want us to do as we begin thinking through this concept of making good, wise decisions in our relationships, in our purchases, in our actions, in our day-to-day life, I want us to look at uh, two individuals uh, who had to make a decision, had to make an important decision, and whatever they decided was going to drastically affect not only them, but the rest of the world. So I want you, if you have your copy of God's Word, to go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at probably one of the the most famous couples in all of history, and that is Adam 
and Eve. Many of y'all are probably very familiar with this story, but as we take a look at this important passage in God's Word, what I want us to see is there are two important truths about the decisions we make in our life, and I believe there's an important guiding question that is asked in this passage that each of us need to ask ourselves when we make decisions that will help, us, help guide us to what is truly wise and good for us. Before we jump into chapter 3, I again want to give a little bit of context of what's going on. God has just created all the universe. He's created mankind, and he's placed them in this beautiful, lush garden where everything they could possibly ever want or imagine is there for the taking. And he says, I have just one rule for you. This one tree over here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, eat anything you want of all the garden, but don't eat that one. For the day that you eat it, you'll die. And so it seems pretty simple, pretty easy. We can enjoy our relationship with God. We can enjoy our relationship with one another. And we can enjoy all of God's creation. And all we have to do is not eat of that one tree. And then we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. And here's what it says. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said... You shall not eat of every tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you should die. Now pause there for just a moment. There's a few little things, little side notes I just want to point out about what's going on with even what she said. Now, we're not told the, the exact location of where this tree of the knowledge of good and evil is. Eve says it's in the midst of the garden. And some scholars believe, well, maybe it was. Maybe the, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil were right smack dab in the middle of uh, the, the garden. And it, it made a, an obvious choice, a daily choice, that every time they walked around and every time they were milling around in the garden, they would see these two choices, life and death before them. Other scholars believe that maybe Eve was just focusing on that one thing that she couldn't have. Some scholars believe that she would uh, constantly, both her and Adam would walk around, and even though the, that tree may have been somewhere else in the garden, it seemed like that focused their attention, that one thing that God said no. Now, I don't know which one it is, but I do know that oftentimes the thing that I can't have is the thing that I want the most. And it focuses my attention, and it focuses everything that I want. And maybe that was the case with Adam and Eve. Maybe it wasn't. But what I do know is in this moment, the serpent puts a seed of doubt in her mind. She goes on and she says, not only can we not eat it, but we, we can't touch it. Maybe she put these guardrails around this idea. God never said you couldn't touch it. Just said you couldn't eat it. Was she adding to God's word? Was she putting guardrails so that she wouldn't be tempted to, to make a poor decision? We don't know. But we do know what happens next. Here's what it says in verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there's the test. The test is God has said this, and I'm telling you this. God has said this is bad, but you need to make the decision for yourself what's good and what's bad. And that's the test that we all face every single day of our life. Here's the thing that we need to understand. that The temptation we see in the garden is no different than the temptation you and I face each and every day. Who is going to decide what's good and what's bad? 
Are you going to decide what's good and what's bad? Because that is what the world is constantly doing all around us. That is the temptation of each and every one of our hearts for us to decide, well, I know what's good. I know what's right for me. I know what I should do. And even though God is telling us differently, it is tempting for each and every one of us, for us to use our own intellect, our own wisdom to decide what's right for me, what's right for my family. But God has told us what is good and what is right. His wisdom is the wisdom that we should cling to. In fact, this is a little interesting uh, homework assignment. If any of y'all are interested in it, go back through Genesis 1, and you look and compare everything that God says is good. Because you see in there God's wisdom. He goes through in there, and he says the light that he created was good. The, the uh, stars, the moon, the sun, he said he saw it and said it was good. He said he saw the, the, uh, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, and he saw that it was good. He created mankind. He created first Adam, and he said, you know what? Something's not quite right. It's not good for him to be alone, so I'm going to create a helpmate for him, and he created woman. Constantly, we see that God saw, he evaluated, and he decided what was good. And another interesting thing, if you go back through Genesis 1, it's constantly showing that God saw what was good, and he gave. It's constantly God creating and giving to his creation life, love, and peace. But as we're going to see in just a moment, Eve is being tempted to not trust in what God evaluates is good and what is evil, but to trust her own evaluation and to take what she wants. Instead of giving the way God does, and instead of trusting in his judgment of what's good and what is wrong, the serpent is saying, you decide what is good and what is right. And if you see something that is good, even if God says no, you trust your decision and you take it. Now, here's the thing that we all need to be aware of. Today, some of you are sitting here right now, and you're facing that dilemma. I don't know what choice you're facing, what temptation is being brought to bear in your life, but I know that you have to make the decision. Are you going to decide to trust in God's wisdom? Are you going to trust in your own wisdom and deciding what you want to do? Notice what it says here in verse 6. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. Here we see that she had made her decision. And instead of saying, you know what, God had looked upon this tree and he decided that even as, as beautiful as it looked, as lush as it looked, as, as good as it looks for food, God said that's evil, so I'm going to trust him. Listen, un, our understanding and our agreement with God is not mandatory for us to simply obey God. That's what faith is. Oftentimes God tells us to do something and he doesn't always give us the reasons for it. But if we love him and if we trust him, then we'll follow him even if we don't understand, even if we don't agree. But Eve was tempted to trust in her own evaluation. So she took because it was pleasurable to her eyes. It looked like it was going to accomplish what she wanted. She felt like God was holding out on her, that there was something good just beyond her grasp that God didn't want her to have. Listen, I don't want anyone here today to think that God is holding anything back from you. 
We serve a loving, gracious, generous God who wants to give and give and give. You read from, genera- gen- from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, and you will see a picture of a God who is constantly pouring out of himself to us, even when we don't deserve it. But Eve believed that God was holding something back. So she decided to take what didn't belong to her. Now, the interesting thing that I find in this passage is that this, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we tend to think of it as a tree that is truly intrinsically evil. But the interesting uh, thing is the words that are used there don't necessarily convey the idea that this was a sinful tree or a bad tree. It just basically meant this was a tree uh, uh, of discernment. That they, that you, that they would have the uh, ability, once eating this tree, to know good and evil. That word evil can also just mean uh, um, uh, not complete. It's not necessarily a sinful thing. It's just something, uh, being able to judge between two different things. Now, here's the thing. Do you think that God wants you to be able to discern good and evil? I do. I think God wants me to be able to look out at the world and see what is good and what is evil and to be able to distinguish between the two. Here's the thing. I fully believe that God intended to teach Adam and Eve good and evil, to be able to distinguish between the two. But listen, I believe that God's way of teaching them what was good and evil was through a relationship. That as he walked in the garden with them and as they fellowshiped with one another, that they would grow in wisdom and they would grow in discernment and they would be able to know as God knows. God wants to teach you and train you and mature you to where you are, have wisdom and discernment But that's always in context of a relationship with him. But Adam and Eve, they didn't want to wait for that. They wanted to seize that outside of God's timing. How often have you wanted something that was good, but it was outside of God's timing? You knew that uh, God wanted you to have that Mr. Right or that Mrs. Right, and you were tired of waiting, and so you seized it outside of God's timing, and it ended up being one of the biggest regrets of your life. How many of you have wanted uh, something good? Maybe it was a, a house, maybe it was a car, maybe it was that job that you'd been working so hard and studying so hard for, and God wasn't opening those doors of opportunities quick enough. So you decided that you knew what was right, and you were going to seize it. Listen, any time that we begin deciding for ourselves, this is good outside of what God has provided and, and instructed us in, and we seize things outside of his timing, we are asking for trouble. We are asking for disaster. God wants you to have all good things, all the blessings he can possibly heap upon us, but he wants it in its due time, and he wants it in context of a relationship with him. Notice It says here that the woman saw it and she took. The interesting thing is that you go throughout Scripture and you see time and time again this very same thing cropping up in people throughout uh, human history. You see how, how Abraham... When he was wanting a child that God had promised, God promised that he would have a child and that it would develop into a great nation. But yet, it was getting older and older, and yet he had no children. And guess what happened? His wife came to him and said, hey, here's my maidservant. 
Why don't you take her? And the child that she will bear will be the child that God has promised for us. And so Abraham, instead of waiting for what God said was right, did what looked right in his own eyes, and he took her. And then you, uh, because of that decision, you have what has uh, been the conflict throughout the Middle East up until this very day, because one person made a decision outside of God's timing for what was right and what was wrong. You see King David, a man after God's own heart, as he was leading his, uh, the nation of Israel and as they were going about establishing this great kingdom uh, that was to be led by God, he looks out and he sees a woman, a married woman bathing. And he saw that she was beautiful. And even though he knew it was wrong, he decided what would be right and wrong in that moment. And he took her for himself. And because of that, it was a scandal that lasted the rest of his kingship. It was a scandal that ended up breaking his family and eventually breaking the nation of Israel as well. Because one person decided that they would decide what was right and wrong and take what God had said they shouldn't. Listen, each and every one of us can be one decision away from wrecking our families, our jobs, Everything that we hold near and dear in our life is one decision away if we're not careful. Does that mean that we need to walk on eggshells and constantly wake up every day going through life afraid that we're going to make a mistake? No. But it does mean that we need to have a little bit of humility. And we need to understand that God is God and he has nothing but our best in mind and that we should follow him. And we should be constantly going before him, asking for him to protect us and keep us in the center of of his will for our life. Notice what happens here. It goes on, and it says here in, in uh, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Abraham and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. And when the Lord God called to Abraham, he said, Where are you? Listen, it's amazing when I read that passage because before all of this took place, before Adam and Eve had made that catastrophic decision to turn against God, to go their own way and take what they thought was right, they had a perfect fellowship and relationship with the God of the universe. Each and every morning they would walk with God through the garden. They would talk and they would, would just enjoy all of his creation together with him. And now all of a sudden they knew what they had done. And now that same relationship they enjoyed with God was severed. And now when he came to be with them, instead of running to him, they ran from him. How many times have we made decisions where we, we did what we thought was right, we did what we wanted to do, and then afterwards we felt shame and we felt guilt about it. And we can't go and talk to anyone else because we feel so guilty about it. And we can't go and talk to God because we feel so guilty about it. And so instead, we just, we isolate ourselves. We hide portions of ourselves away from others, fearful that anyone will know what we've done, what we've said, what we've thought. Listen, that's what happens when we begin making the decision of what's good and what's wrong in the world. Instead of trusting what God has said. That's what happens when we begin thinking that we are sufficient enough to go through this life and make our own decisions. Listen, we're not. We're broken. 
Our eyes are skewed. Listen, I, I've been wearing glasses for, uh, for several years since uh, elementary school, really. And I didn't realize uh, when I first started wearing glasses that I needed them, or, or before I started wearing glasses that I needed them. I just started having trouble in school, and I started having trouble uh, concentrating and staying on task, never even realizing that it was because I couldn't see properly. But then finally, when, when it was diagnosed that I needed glasses and I got my prescription, I could finally see again. Listen, oftentimes we don't understand that when we look out at the world through our eyes, everything's skewed. It doesn't look that way because we're so used to it. But when we take God's word, when we take the Holy Spirit who lives in us as believers, God gives us our new eyes, eyes of faith that we can finally see what's going on around us clearly. But here's the thing. Now that I got glasses, I still have to get checkups occasionally. Occasionally, I have to up my prescription. Sometimes uh, my eyes are continually, as I get older, uh, uh, get, getting harder and harder to see. In the same way, it's not good enough just to pray and accept God into your heart one time and ask him to be uh, the Lord and master of your life. Listen, each and every day of our life, we need to ask him to renew our eyes, to renew and re regenerate our hearts so that we can see clearly. I can't see myself the way I'm supposed to. Only God, as he renews and changes my heart, can I know who I really am and what's going on in me. And when I go through life and I encounter situations where I have to make a decision, listen, I need to constantly be asking God, God, help me see what I need to do in this situation. God, help me make the decision that I need to make so I don't get outside your will, so I don't make a mistake for myself, for my family, or for those that I love. We need to have humility when we go through this life because there are traps and there are snares everywhere we go. And we need God to guide and to direct us. It says here that God was walking through the garden. I love the question that he says. He calls out and he says, where are you? Where are you? I would have imagined that God never had to ask that question before because they would always run up to him. They would always long to be close to him. But here God, he knew that they were hiding do you think God didn't know where they were? Of course he knew where they were. Well, if God knew where they were, why in the world was he asking, where are you? It's kind of like when you play hide and seek with your kids and they go hide up under, under the blankets of the bed and you can see their little outline on the bed and you know where they are, but you, you feign like you don't just to kind of play along. I wonder if God was asking that question, not for his own benefit, but for Adam and for Eve's. Where are you? What has gotten you to this place? Why are you hiding from the one who gives you life and gives you all that you would ever need? Listen, we're going to come back to that in just a moment, but I want you to notice what happens as they finally come face to face with God. Notice what it says here. And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said, Where are you? And then in verse 10 it says this, So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, The woman that you gave me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. So catch that. God asked Adam what had happened, and what does Adam do? He points his finger. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
He says, it's her. You know, the woman that, that you gave me. So y'all two go work this out. I'm going to stand back here, right? Now we're getting into the blame game. And so then he goes on and he says this. And he says, God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, he deceived me. And I, so what does Eve do? She points the finger at somebody else. And so we see that the relationship between not only Adam and Eve and God are broken, but the, Adam, uh, the relationship between Adam and his wife have been broken as well. Instead of watching over her, protecting her, guiding her, instead he's pointing his finger at her and saying it's her fault. She's the problem. And what does she do? Instead of owning up to what's happened, she points her finger. It's the serpent. It's his fault. And so here's the thing I want us to see before we go into the next few verses, because this is important. They made one decision. And really, in the grand scheme of things, when you look at it, it's almost a, 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 such a small decision. It's just a piece of fruit. I'm just eating this one bite of this piece of fruit. And yet we're going to see that it caused untold devastation, not only for them, but for the rest of us. Because we know that from this decision, from their decision to fall away from God here, we see all the wars and famine and pestilence and sin that has just wreaked havoc on our world from one decision. And here's what I want you to know. That your decisions can become larger and last longer than you ever anticipate. Now, that's not always the case. But there are certain decisions that we will make in our life, and oftentimes we won't know when those decisions come. Sometimes we will. Sometimes we'll know that this is a big decision. But sometimes we'll make decisions thinking that they're small, thinking that they're insignificant, but they will be decisions. Then maybe they lead to other decisions, and it's a snowball effect, but it starts with one decision that will grow larger and last longer than you'll ever anticipate. There are some decisions that maybe you won't see the consequences but maybe your kids will. Maybe your grandkids will. There are some here who maybe you know that because of decisions that your parents faced, maybe it was because your, your, your father would not stop drinking that you are reaping the consequences of a broken family because of the decisions that he made. You're reaping those consequences. Maybe it's a purchase that you made and you don't feel the consequences of it now, but months, years later, it'll really come back to cause untold stress and anxiety and animosity in your family because of it. Sometimes the consequences aren't immediate, but they'll come. So let us make wise decisions now. Notice what the consequences were for Adam and Eve. In verse 14, we see this. First, he talks to the serpent. He says this, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle. Notice that it says more than all the cattle. All, everything in all creation is about to be cursed because of this. But he says, You, because you've done this more than anything else, you're going to be cursed. And more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now catch this next part. This is important. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Most scholars, when they read this, they, they say that this is the, the, the first telling of the gospel. 
That this is the foreshadowing, even here at Genesis 3, this is the foreshadowing that the serpent, who we know later on in the book of Revelation, it is said to be Satan himself, that this serpent would one day strike at the Messiah, the seed of the woman, but that the Messiah would crush his head, winning victory for all mankind. This is the consequence for what Satan did. You have, you have uh, made a decision here, Satan. You've made a decision to lead humanity astray. But listen, the consequences won't happen now. They won't happen for many more hundreds of thousands of years ahead. But one day, you're going to reap what you've sown here. He goes on and says this in verse, uh, verse 16. He says to the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. What used to be a united uh, family, what used to be a united front where we go forward uh, accomplishing the will of God that was said back in Genesis 2, now there's sinfulness, now there's animosity, now there's division, now there's competition, now there's going to be problems in the marriage and in the family. You're going to desire him, and he's going to rule over you. And then in verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 17, it says this, Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. And toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall it bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herbs of the field. And the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will be. You will return. Here we see that one couple made a bad decision that ended up impacting all of creation. They could not even begin to fathom the ramifications of this one decision because we are still paying the price today. Now listen, let's bring this home a little bit more. What decisions are you facing now that not only will you have to pay for, but your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, your church family? Listen, I want all of us to make good, wise decisions. I want all of us to be able to go forward and be able to make decisions that not only make us proud, but make our families proud, and most importantly, make God proud. God wants you to choose well. Before you today is a choice of life or death. Which one are you going to choose? Because here's the thing. So often we feel like we can make that choice all by ourselves. There's this thing called, you've probably heard it before, confirmation bias, where when we get logged on to what we want, we can't see anything else around us. We don't want to hear any other facts. We don't want to see any other stats. We want to just know that I'm going to get what I want. And I want it now. But listen, when you start tuning out the voice of your Heavenly Father, when you stop listening to your brothers and sisters in Christ, when you stop listening to the Holy Spirit that's whispering in the back of your mind saying, whoa, slow down. You need to slow down on this. When we stop listening to that because we're so focused on what we want, we are just a step away from disaster. Don't rush in to a decision that you could spend a lifetime paying back. Decisions often get bigger and last longer than we ever anticipate. So what do we do? 
What do we do with that? This idea that decisions are important, that every day we're making these decisions and these decisions that we make today often shape our life in the days ahead. So what do we do? Here's what I want you to understand. We need to approach every day in every decision with humility. We need to humbly recognize that I don't see life objectively. I am too clouded with my desires and my wants to see what is truly right in front of me. And so I need God to guide me every step of the way. Does that mean that you need to pray over what cereal you're going to eat in the morning and what clothes you're going to wear uh, throughout the day? No, of course not. But if I am walking hand in hand with my Lord and Savior, and if I am fellowshipping with him, then he is guiding and transforming me. And as long as I'm humbly walking with him, then he will guide me in those decisions that I make. He'll guide me when, I, when I'm faced with unexpected circumstances and I got to make a split uh, decision in the moment. God will be with me. God will be guiding. And that's what I want for each and every one of you. And you know what I know? Is that you all want that for yourselves. And you want that for those that you love and hold near and dear to you in your life as well. So what are we going to start doing? Are we going to be humble? Are we going to ask God to guide us? Or are we going to continue to forge our own way and reap the consequences and regrets from it? You know, I was thinking through what, what does humility do? What, how does it help us in making these decisions? I, I, I thought uh, God laid upon my heart uh, these at least three ways that humility helps us. And, and we'll, we'll finish out on this. Number one, when we approach these decisions and when we approach life humbly, it causes us to slow down. When I recognize that I don't see things clearly, it helps me to recognize that I don't need to rush into each and every decision. That I don't need to hurry through life just uh, deciding what I think is right. But it causes me to slow down and realize I don't always have to make a decision right there in the moment. I need to think on it. I need to pray on it. And it brings us to our second thing that humility often causes us to do when we go through life with a, a spirit of humility. Not only does it cause us to slow down, it causes us to seek. Seek wisdom from others. Seek knowledge about what we're about to do. Whether that be in God's word, whether that be in brothers and sisters in Christ who can help us along the way, whether that be just going to God in prayer. When we truly are humble in making these decisions that affect the course of our life and the life of those that we love, we slow down. We begin to seek clarity. And then lastly, it causes us to stay close to God. When I recognize that I can't make these decisions by myself, it causes me to truly cling to God with every ounce of strength that I have. When I recognize that he's the only one who can guide me through this minefield of life, it gives me more motivation to stay as close as I possibly can to him. Again, I don't know what decisions you're facing. I don't know what's looming just uh, outside these church walls when you go out into the world, what you're going to face. But my desire, my, my, my plea and prayer for each and every one of you is that you would approach life as we leave this worship service and we go out into the rest of the week that we would approach life humbly, asking God to guide us, asking him, God, you tell me what's good and what's wrong. Lord, you help reshape my heart into what it needs to be. And as we do that, I'm confident that God will honor that prayer and that he'll guide us and that you can live life with less regrets because you are following your Lord and Savior with all you have.
In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. My prayer for you is that you would go before your Heavenly Father in a spirit of humility and thankfulness, asking Him to guide you. Let's go to uh, our Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for your guidance and your wisdom. Father, thank you for your word that is always timely and true. And Lord, I thank you that as we come here today, Lord, that we can see the decisions that have happened in the past, Lord. We can look at the life of Adam and Eve, Lord, and we can see the power of one decision. And Lord, I I know in my life there have been times where I've made decisions apart from you, Lord. I wish I could change them, Lord. I wish I could go back and, and decide differently, but I can't. But Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you that you, uh, Lord, you are forging a new path ahead for each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray for each person here, Lord, that they would trust you. Lord, not leaning on their own understanding, but Lord, just walking hand in hand with you in the days ahead. Lord, give them strength and bless them as they seek to follow you. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.